welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. We've been looking at Joseph for a couple of weeks. We've looked at how he was a man with dreams and visions. And we've looked at how God gave him success in everything he turned his eyes to. And now we're going to look at another facet of Joseph's life. But first of all, I just want you to picture something. You've seen Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. Well, I don't know if you've heard about the Jungle Animal Olympics. It's held every year. And after the last Olympics, just as they came to an end, there were two very dejected cheetahs sat on a log to one side, holding their heads in their hands. And one of them said to the other, Just imagine, we are meant to be the fastest creatures of the jungle, and yet we were outrun by an elephant and a giraffe. The other one replied, It's just the way it goes. Cheetahs never win. We've looked at how Joseph came to be in Egypt. We've looked at the call on his life. We've looked at how he had visions and dreams. And we've looked at how he handled frustration and disappointment. And today, we're going to look at how he handled something else. Okay, I'm going to read from Genesis 39... Verses 1 to 23. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who'd taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of everything he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. 
My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her, or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he'd left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them. This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard my scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak until his master came home. And then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison... The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those he held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success whatever he did. We need to understand we do not live in a spiritually neutral environment. We live in a world where Satan has ways of attacking us and undermining us. And in fact, he has many ways of doing that. He uses a lot of different disguises to trick us and to discredit the work of God. And as we follow the story of Joseph, we find it is so relevant to the days in which we live. We see Potiphar's wife appear on the scene. Here was Joseph. He was away from home with all its restrictions. He was young. He was handsome. And he was beginning to make his mark And so Potiphar's wife's eyes began to turn to him. Her husband was away. He was often away from home. And she was alone, available and willing. And that was a powerful temptation that was suddenly staring Joseph in the face. This woman had the power and authority and yet found Joseph desirable, and she wanted him for herself. And that challenge was sudden, and it was outrageous. 
suddenly and openly she invited Joseph to go and lie with her. And this young man found himself encountering a problem and a situation that he hadn't foreseen and had never experienced before. It was like a sudden discovery of a road to fulfilment opening in front of him. It was probably very alluring. I can expect there was a fair degree of fascination with the idea. And it was just begging to be explored. And that's what temptation's like. It's often like that. It's often sudden, with the promise of instant satisfaction. We have to be honest. Sin is tempting. If sin wasn't tempting, we wouldn't find it such a challenge. And here it was, a temptation that was so powerful. She might as well have said to him, come on, I can satisfy you. I can give you what you want now. Because that's what temptation does. It whispers that in our ears. But in the same breath, it can ruin a whole life like that. If we look back earlier in Genesis, we see a story concerning Esau. This is in Genesis 25, verse 29 onwards. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that stew. I'm famished. And that's why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Oh, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, no, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Here we find Esau. He's stumbled in from the fields, he's hungry, and he smells that inviting smell of cooked food. It was Jacob was cooking. And almost before he knew what he was saying, he said, I want some of that. Give me some of that stew. His body was crying out for fulfilment. And his body's demands for a moment overwhelmed common sense and anything that his spirit might have been saying. It was saying, I want to be satisfied and I need it now. Give me some of that stew. And that expression of Esau, it, it so easily sums up what we face day by day. What the Bible refers to as the longings of the flesh. And even when Jacob said, it will cost you your inheritance, Esau said, what do I care about that? Give me some of that stew now 
temptation has the ability to make everything that is spiritual and godly fade from view, while our flesh clamours for instant satisfaction. And in Esau we see that tug of war going on. And he was prepared to forfeit his inheritance to indulge his appetite. He failed. And he failed miserably. Young people leave home today. They go away to college or university. Or even they just go on holiday. And suddenly they are faced with temptations they have never faced before. And they're faced with them with a ferocious intensity. It's all so easy now. It's all so possible. The restrictions of living at home have disappeared. And the temptation can be overwhelming. And that's what Joseph faced. And for Joseph, not only was it sudden, but it was sustained. Genesis tells us that she came to him day after day. Day after day. We don't know how long Joseph withstood that temptation. But clearly he did for a while, because she came to him day after day. He was faced with this day after day. And sometimes we get prolonged periods of temptation in our lives. And not only was it sustained, it was subtle. Genesis continues, he refused to go to bed with her. But actually, maybe there was an alternative. Perhaps, perhaps I could get away. I won't go to bed with her, but perhaps there's an alternative. How about, I'll just spend some time with her. I'll just get into a little bit of harmless flirtation. What harm can that do? And let's see where it goes. Why do we think we can play with fire and not get burnt? We see people who don't intend to be totally, irrevocably committed to adultery, but actually they can't bring themselves to bring something to a final and drastic end either. They indulge in a little. And suddenly that harmless flirtation has been fanned into a fire. And that is what confronted Joseph. And even when he resisted that, Satan played another card. He knew that Potiphar's wife had authority through her husband. Now Joseph may have thought, perhaps Potiphar's wife can get me out of the situation I'm in. Here I am, I'm living effectively in slavery in a foreign land. And perhaps she can pull some strings and get me out of this. Perhaps Satan used Joseph's feeling of being lonely, away from home and unloved to tempt him. Other people didn't show him any care. And suddenly, this woman 
was showing him desire. Giving him attention when no one else was. And that was relentlessly pushing Joseph to throw away his purity. So we can see the attack was sudden, it was sustained, it was subtle. But actually it was also secret. She waited until there was no one in the house. There's no one else here. No one else will know about it. It's just you and me. No one needs to know. No one can see what's happening here in the dark. Just between you and me. But of course we know the truth of the matter. And that's that the whole of heaven was looking on. All of heaven was watching this young man who was called by God in the middle of these greatest pressures and difficulties. He was at the centre of God's will. He was all set for a glorious future, fulfilling the purpose of God. We need to be careful that today we don't think no one's looking. When in fact all of heaven is looking on, will this young man triumph? Or will he throw away everything in one moment of foolishness? The devil tells us, no one can see. We forget God's with us all the time. We can't hide anything from him. Everything is like an open book. It's no good saying, my New Year's resolution is I won't be tempted this year. Because I'll tell you, there will always be temptation. Even Jesus was tempted. In Deuteronomy 8 it says, God has led you into the wilderness these 40 years to know what was in your heart. He puts us in situations to look at our inner motivations. His aim is to make us more like Jesus, who loved righteousness and hated evil. So how did Joseph overcome? Firstly, he overcame by being the very opposite of Eve in the Garden of Eden. When God said to Eve, you may not eat any, oh, sorry, you may eat any of the trees except that one, yeah? she became preoccupied with the one that she couldn't eat. And so when the devil approached her, she was already open to temptation. Joseph's attitude was totally different. When Potiphar's wife spoke to him, he replied, I thank God that he's given me everything else, but it's only right that my master should withhold you because you are his wife. And that reply was rooted in the attitudes in Joseph that we looked at earlier. That he received everything 
without grumbling or complaining. He had a healthy attitude and a God-centered attitude to what was going on in his life. He was enjoying everything that God had already given him and he had a positive attitude. And he had a godly perspective on his life. If our attitude was like that, if it was one of thanksgiving and praise and acceptance of everything God has given us, when some other thing comes along and is offered to us, we would already feel fulfilled rather than have to give way under the pressure of temptation. That's got to be our basic attitude to life. We talked before about people who are bitter, who feel things aren't as they should be, who complain that nobody loves me, are far more vulnerable to these types of temptation because they are always looking for something different in which to find fulfilment. But Joseph had another weapon as well. He called a spade a spade. He didn't hesitate to name what Potiphar's wife offered him as evil. He replied, why should I do this great evil? He was under no illusion. We need, where sin is concerned, to call a spade a spade. The world tries to deceive us. It tries to deceive us by changing the terminology we use. And there's a lot of euphemisms for sin. Perhaps you prefer to call it an indiscretion. The terminology changes so sin becomes acceptable. And it's no longer regarded as sin if it's meaningful. Sexual experimentation is okay as long as people love each other. We hear that so often. We love each other. That's all that matters. Across our nation, there are young people who see visions and dream dreams. There are young people, even children, who are entering a new spiritual dimension and yet are living in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. A generation that says, come to bed with me. Promiscuity is the accepted thing. Everyone else is doing it. Why should you be the only one who isn't? Come on, come to bed with me. Joseph overcame by being clear about the issues. And we have to be equally clear and say, no, actually, to do that is a great evil. To do this isn't meaningful, it's, it's wrong. We need to wake up to the fact that compromise abounds in all areas of our life not just in sexual sin what about the stealing that happens in the workplace 
the shoplifting, the tax fiddles. More and more they are becoming commonplace and deemed acceptable. There's a story about a man who worked in a warehouse and at the end of one day he was walking out of the warehouse and he was pushing a wheelbarrow and as he got to the gate of the warehouse one of the security men stopped him and said what you got in that wheelbarrow? He says it's just a box of sawdust. I had a chat with my gaffer and, and he said that was fine. I could take some sawdust home for the rabbit. So the security man came out and looked in the box and sure enough it was just a box of sawdust. So he said, hmm, okay, off you go. Every day the following week the guy did the same. And every day the following week the man on the gate stopped him, looked in the box and it was just for the sawdust. This went on for weeks and months and years. And it finally got to the point where the security man was due to retire. And at the end of his last day, out comes the guy again, pushing a wheelbarrow with a box in it. And he stopped him and he said, I know you have been up to something. I know you have. I just can't put my finger on what it is. This is my last day. I've finished. Well, another ten minutes and I've finished. Just tell me, what is the fiddle you are up to? Because I'd just like to know, for my own peace of mind, I won't do anything about it. Just tell me, what are you doing? And the guy said, it's very straightforward. I'm stealing wheelbarrows. There are major companies that build a percentage into their budgets to compensate for the things that are stolen from them by their employees. Taken out of the factory in pockets, in the boots of cars and on the backs of lorries. Actually, there's a whole industry based on that and it is called the security industry. In sport, we have the professional foul. Actually, it's just cheating. And it spoils and it robs us of the joy of true sport. Because actually, when you only win because of cheating, it doesn't feel like a victory. And when you lose because of cheating, it feels even worse. Behind it is the devil and his passion to spoil. And Joseph just simply called it a great evil. He called it what it was. He saw that it was against God. And he said, why should I do this great evil and sin against God? There's a generation that is losing its signposts, that has forgotten sin is an offence against God. And there's a danger. If you look at church history, 
you see that what is acceptable in society some years later becomes acceptable in the church. But we mustn't accept that sin is anything other than an evil against God. David understood that after he'd sinned against Bathsheba. We read what he said in Psalm 51. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned. He couldn't escape the crippling guilt that his acts brought. But Joseph was steadfast. Day by day, he refused to give in. He maintained his integrity. Now the sad thing was, he couldn't actually tell Potiphar that he had refused, because he was just a slave. He couldn't even run away. He was locked into the situation. What was he to do? Dr. Wilbur Chapman told a story of a distinguished minister, Dr. Howard from Australia. And he preached very strongly on the subject of sin. And after one of his services, one of the church officers came to him in the vestry to talk to him. And he said, Dr. Howard, we, uh, we don't want you to talk so openly as you do about man's guilt and corruption. Because if our youngsters, if our boys and girls hear you discussing that subject they'll more easily become sinners. I mean, call it a mistake if you will, but please don't speak so plainly about sin. The minister took down a small bottle from a shelf and he showed it to his visitor. And he said, do you see what it says on that label? It says strickening. And underneath, in bold red letters... It has the word poison. Do you know, man, what you are asking me to do? You're suggesting that I change that label. Now, suppose I do. Suppose I paste over it the words, essence of peppermint. Don't you see what will happen? Someone will use it not knowing the danger involved. And they will die. And so it is with the matter of sin. The milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. So finally, Potiphar's wife forced herself on him. She clung to his sleeve, willing him to share her life. And as he wrenched himself free, he left her holding on to his garment. That's how desperate he was to get out of the danger zone. But just think of the picture in heaven. Just think how heaven must have rejoiced as he ran, as he came through that test, vindicated. In the film Chariots of Fire, we see two young men invited to Paris 
to race in the 1924 Olympics. One of them was a Christian called Eric Liddell. And he was horrified when he found out that the heat for the 100-yard race that he was entered for would be run on a Sunday. He was put under huge pressure by the authorities, but he sustained his refusal. He finally agreed to run in the 400-yard race, a distance that he'd not been trained for. Now as he was waiting, ready to run that race, someone put a small scrap of paper in his hand, on which was written, those who honour God, God will honour. The starting pistol broke the silence and the race was underway, and the excitement mounted as this tremendous sprinter literally thundered around the track, all the time clutching that promise in his hand. He won the race. It was a famous victory. And when that film was first shown in London, at the end, the entire audience stood up and applauded. At the event, Liddell was lifted shoulder high and carried out triumphant because of his victory. He'd won the race. He'd been true to his convictions and he'd been gloriously vindicated. Back to Joseph. He was true to his convictions. But look what happened to him. The coat was literally torn from his back. Potiphar's wife screamed that he'd molested her. He was put into prison because her lies were believed. Yet God still had a great redemptive purpose for Joseph's life. And we're going to hear more about that. Oh, I'm just going to say what happened to him. <laughs> Another day. A final thought just from James, which sums up so much of this, is James 4, verse 7. It says... Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Let's just stand. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.